but it's going to take a while. We're going to have to be patient until we uh, the hard work of tallying the votes is finished. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. Welcome to a very special edition of the Cross-Border Interview Podcast. From time to time, the show will be diverting from its show structure to discuss the most important issue of the day. Whether it's an election, an award show, breaking news across the world, or an issue of a local scale, we will be bringing guests onto the show to discuss the issues that is on everyone's mind. So here now is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast discussing the USA 2020 general election. So, uh, the 2020 general election for the United States of America is still ongoing. We are Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Our guest is in California. He has uh, voted in the election by mail-in ballot. So, according to uh, Donald Trump, his is an illegal vote because it probably showed up after the election or it did show up before he is shaking his head yeah no uh, especially with california my ballot show we do it for so long and we do drop boxes and things i ended up voting probably um oh god i got counted maybe a week or two ago um and we can track that through our system but the big thing with the mail-in ballots uh, is when they come in because of the mail system and everything. So mine counts and is probably considered legal to Donald. Well, well, if you didn't vote for Donald Trump, then no, it didn't probably, right? Fair. We we're throwing it out right now as we speak, actually. Exactly. So we are day three to all day two of election counting. They still have yet to call Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Alaska. Now, Arizona, I didn't mention Arizona because there's two uh, news outlets that have called Arizona. Surprisingly, Arizona was called for Joe Biden by the Associated Press and Fox News. So if you believe Fox News... Joe Biden is winning Arizona or has won Arizona. If you believe everyone else, he has not. And the last count had him up above Joe uh, Donald Trump by about 56,000 votes. And I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and it is about 56,000 votes. It has not changed since the last time I looked at it. It's probably not going to change until tomorrow. So we expected this i expected this i expected that it was going to be a long few days with the voter turnout of over 100 million advanced voting i could have imagined i couldn't have imagined that it was going to be done election night as an american mike how did you think this was going to go and are you surprised at the length of how long it's taken to actually count the vote so in theory Yes, I fully was like, you know what, this is going to go on for a week or so. There's just so many votes coming in. It's going to be such tight margins on so many of these states. And especially after 2016, they're going to make sure every single 
vote is counted before they call any battleground states. So I, in theory, was fully prepared knowing this was the case. However, in practice, at 1230 Pacific Standard Time, after being up all day and having seven or eight panic attacks, was like, we, why is it this called? This needs to be called. Everybody needs to get their shit together. I'll wake up and it'll be called woke up still not like so in theory i'm i was prepared i knew i was telling everybody it was going to take forever and i was clearly not really prepared i was mentally yes emotionally was not prepared for it to be going on this long now you and i I, you and i uh, were on the same avenue when we were originally predicting of what was going to happen here um we still don't know what is actually going to transpire with the presidency of the United States of America. But earlier this year, probably about, I'd say September, I think you and I both agreed that Donald Trump was on his way to being reelected as president of the United States. I was the more optimistic one of the two of us. I, I thought there was a small path for Joe Biden, but you did not think that you thought after the four years, Donald Trump was going to be reelected. Can you just talk me through what your process of why you thought that was? It is very, very, very difficult to remove somebody who is incumbent. And that's the big thing to kind of remember, especially with American politics. It's why we have these senators, these representatives, these governors that have been in charge for years, decades. It's because the incumbent, it's someone you know, it's who you know, it's what's going on. And so it is that like very clear difficultness to uh, remove somebody. And then especially with seeing the country, seeing the work that was going on, the Democrats were doing and making really great grounds and pushes. And we're really trying to bring people back to the party. The the a lot of people really support him and still supported him and were very vocal. Um, And then a lot of people also really were that covert, subtle, I'm not going to talk about my support for Donald Trump because then I might lose my job. I might be deemed a racist. I might be deemed homophobic. I might be deemed whatever and refuse to actually acknowledge their vote out loud to friends, family, pollsters, things like that. Um, And with the polls getting it so incredibly wrong in 2016 and predicting relatively the same way this time around, I was very fully prepared for him to get reelected, especially with the big push to delegitimize the mail vote. Uh, And I had many friends who were planning on vote mail vote that instantly were like, I have to go in person. And with the long lines and especially with things like my my job is still going i'm still working in la and i still have clients i need to call contact deal with i don't necessarily have time to stand in a 10-hour voting line um so there was a lot of concern around the mail vote and the if if it was even going to get to the polling place in time 
No, understandable. And just on that note about defeating a incumbent president of the 46 presidents, because I told Mike before this, I have done my research meticulously of the 46 presidents, 12 of those presidents, only one one term as president. The last one being George H.W. Bush, the one before that, Jimmy Carter and Hoover, Taft, Harrison, Hayes, Buchanan, Pierce, Polk, Burns and both Adams were the 12 men who only won one time. So you're right, it is hard to defeat an incumbent president, but it can be done. Oh, 100%. It has been done in the past, but there has to be an underlying issue that sweeps them out of office. With George H.W. Bush, it was Ross Perot. Ross Perot took a lot of the Republican votes. Bill Clinton came up the middle and won. With Jimmy Carter, people hated him because of the energy program. So they brought in Ronald Reagan with Donald Trump. Yet again, we still do not know as the last count. It's 253 to 214, 213, depending on if you call that beautiful state of Maine, that one electoral vote for Donald Trump, it's 213. So this election is coming down to Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada. North Carolina is a lost cause. Let's be honest, they're not going to win. So, yes, but the big thing with North Carolina is with because every state has their own rules for when votes can come in. And North Carolina is one of those states that has a longer period of time after Election Day that they'll still accept mail in votes as long as they're postmarked by the third. Yeah. And overseas votes, those a lot of those votes come in after the election. So. Theoretically, the grounds is so large in North Carolina with the ballots they believe they still need to have come in. Unless every single ballot that's um, still out there comes back specifically for Joe Biden, he's not probably getting North Carolina. No. Um, but at this point, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. But at this point, though, it is really still anyone's game, especially yeah. with Arizona in the mix at this point unless donald trump really can overcome joe biden's lead in arizona there is no path to victory for him i really don't see it and that's exactly right joe biden has multiple paths to 270 pardon my french um but he if he wins georgia he wins pennsylvania he's got it if he just wins pennsylvania he's got it with the 253 if he wins uh, arizona and nevada he's got it if he wins georgia and nevada he's got it so there's multiple paths donald trump has won he has to win the rest of the outstanding elections the only unknown situation here is if donald trump does win pennsylvania arizona nevada and Joe Biden wins Georgia, you both got 269 votes. Then it goes to the House of, House of Representatives. We won't talk about that. That is not going to happen. And if it does, I will eat my shorts. And dear God, we are going to go for a civil war here down in the States. Well, if it goes to the House of Representatives, because the House is currently controlled by the Democrats, it's going to go President Joe Biden, Vice President Donald Trump. Vice President Mike Pence, wouldn't it be? Nope. Vice President Donald Trump. And can you imagine him being vice president to Joe Biden? (laughs) Nothing would get done. And that's really why they kind of have moved towards running with a 
actual vice presidential candidate because it used to be the whoever came in second would just be vice president. Yep. That's, George Washington. That's uh, John Adams came second to George Washington, so on and so forth. Yeah. So that's kind of why they took away with that because it's just you don't get much done with your opponent. <laughs> But we won't talk about that because that will not happen. I am optimistic. I'm being the I'm being the optimist here that come later on tonight or tomorrow morning or be, as you're listening to this, we will know who the 46th or 45th reoccurring president is. Now, you and I, you did not watch it, I'm assuming. I did just watched Donald Trump's epic meltdown on Thursday night, his press conference, because he's seen Joe Biden on TV twice. So he had to be on TV. He had to show that he's actually still president. He came out, he made lie after lie after lie. I was going to run it before the intro, but I decided not not to. So we now have a president who has said that we are going to get it overturned potentially in the Supreme Court. As an American, how do you feel about that? Good luck. Really? Even with a 6-3 majority? There are many times, especially with the Supreme Court, whenever this voter issue comes of should we throw out ballots, the Supreme Court pretty much consistently favors on the side of count every vote. Yeah, because with Bush versus Gore, it was more, we're going to stop the recount of the recount of the recount. And there was the hanging Chad issue where they were anything unsure just got thrown out, which that would probably be the case. Yeah. Which that right now is a very big unknown on what is that. And they have put in a lot of steps in place to make sure any unknown ballots are being looked over by a Democrat, a Republican, and an independent, especially in battleground states. So realistically, good luck going to the Supreme Court. He also doesn't have a case to bring there. They keep getting stricken down in all these minor courts. And really, if you don't have a case, there's no case for voter fraud. There's no case for the, the anything kind of hanky right now. Granted, well, he... Go ahead. After voter, like if after counts, you know, if they come back, they recount Wisconsin because at this point he is in the range. He can demand a recount. They can recount Wisconsin. And if they see, you know, a large amount of votes get turned back to Donald Trump, then that's grounds probably for something fucked up there. But you're probably not going to see because Scott Walker, when he ran and it was that super, super close margin, he didn't demand a recount. Um, I believe. Well, Don, no, he didn't. But oh, Donald he, Trump didn't re, uh, request a recount when he won by the same margin that Joe Biden's winning Wisconsin right now. Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate in 2016, did. But Donald Trump won it. So therefore, he didn't request a recount. But now he is because there's malicious things going on in Wisconsin. And we need to get to the bottom of this. Um, the malicious things. to, And this is the big thing to keep in mind. The election officials have been saying for months there's going to be an influx of votes. We have to be able to count these earlier. We have to start counting the minute we get them or we're going to be in the situation we're in right now. They took it to how like they took it to the House of Representatives in many of these battleground states that are controlled by Republicans who struck those that down and said, no, you will not count it until Election Day. So now you're looking at major metropolitan areas that are getting millions and millions and millions of early vote mail in vote that they can't even open. 
And then now they have to deal with all the votes that have come in on that same day. So what you're so really what you saw in the initial numbers was same day voting, which Donald Trump was running a whole campaign saying, don't trust the mail, don't trust the mail. You have to vote in person. So in large numbers, Democrats were early voting mail voting. And in large numbers, Republicans were doing same day turnout of election day. And so after that same day election day turnout, you then ran into these large numbers coming in from the mail-in vote. It, I mean, in most in most places right now, Joe Biden's getting like 90 percent of the mail-in vote. And it's well, because of Donald Trump and the Republicans saying now for months, don't trust the mail. No, exactly. And that's where his him and as a. Uh, so many pundits have said his offspring are saying the votes that come in after election day should not count, even though law requires them. You know this uh, as someone from New York, someone from California, that if they're postmarked on election day, they still count. You are right on the state, depending on the state. Correct. I apologize. So, yes. So, this is the issue that Donald Trump is worried about is because the votes that are still coming in are heavily Democratic, like you said, in Georgia, in Georgia, in Pennsylvania, Joe Biden is winning 70 to 80 to 90 percent of the mail in ballots and Donald Trump is not winning. And that's why the gaps are closing so much. Yeah, I'm going to ask this question and tell me what you think. Do you think that Donald Trump will give a concession speech if he loses. No, absolutely not. Donald Trump, I mean, I'm not going to lie. We saw a damn moving van in front of the White House. I'm not entirely convinced that yesterday when all that was coming in, they weren't going out into the White House, grabbing as much of the art and artifacts and stuff like that that they could and shoving it in there to go flee. Because New York State right now is waiting for him to no longer have presidential immunity to charge him with a whole fuck ton of crimes. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yes. So he's done so much illegal shit in New York that they're ready to, like, grab him. But because of presidential immunity, they can't move on it. So he knows this. So I'm fully expecting him to. I'm even to move to like Moscow or Brazil or someplace without an extradition treaty that's friendly to him where he has a Trump tower and like snag a bunch of the art and artifacts from the White House that he could or and in a very rare, weird situation. I'm not 100 percent convinced he may not just bolt after it's announced. And what do we do if there's the president who's still president for two more months vanishes? Do you think he would actually vanish? Because that's the scenario that I've been going over in my head over uh, probably for the last few days is what would he do? Would he atomic bomb America? Just basically say, I'm going to pardon everyone that I can. I'm going to do whatever I can possibly do in the next two months. Or do you think he would be or someone in the Republican Party would say, shut the hell up, Donald, and just get back to doing this. And we need to sign a stimulus bill to get to the American people for covid like there are many options. And like you said, I think the weirdest option that might be the truest is yours. He might just bolt and say, screw it. I'm done. Yeah, I I do think once it gets announced, especially with the voting looking like where it's going, like Joe Biden has a very good chance of winning right now. I do believe once it gets announced, what you might hear from 
people like Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, these people who have been very pro-Trump, but very traditional Republican candidates, you may finally hear them say, you know what, you lost, deal with it. We will try again in four years. If you want to run again, there's a primary season for a reason. You can, in fact, do that. But you're going to see a lot of these very traditional Republicans that don't want the Democrats to turn on them in bulk. Because, I mean, Lindsey Graham was very worried this time around. And I know we're not talking about that yet. But there is a big fear that if this is not as seamless as they can make it, Democrats are just going to keep turning out in larger numbers, and we may see a flip of Texas to blue sooner than initially expected by even the Democratic Party. Well, because like you said, polls got polls got it wrong in 2016. They got it massively wrong in 2020. No one got anything right. It seems like, yes, one or two states might have gotten a little bit right, but they expected Ohio to flip. They expected Georgia to quickly flip, North Carolina to flip, Pennsylvania, the western blue wall, Florida. But nothing has come to to, uh, fruition because, like you said, there is that silent Trump voter out there. Looking at 2024, and yet again, we were jumping a bit over here, but looking at 2024, you see Republicans who are coming out after Donald Trump's press briefing on Thursday to say that was ridiculous. Governor, Republican governors, Republican senators, and you can tell they are aiming at 2024 because they see the writing on the wall. Trump is going to lose. How do we get him out without making the Republicans look bad? Which is why that first speech Donald Trump gave when he rolled out at like 2.30 in the morning, Eastern time, Mm -hmm. very erratic, very, I don't want to say unhinged, but very manic. Like, we're winning. Why don't they want me to win? You know, I'm your favorite president. Why don't they want your favorite president to win? And, you know, we're going to stop counting the votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, but we're going to keep counting in Nevada because there's more Trump votes there. They love me. And this very erratic speech of I won, I'm going to announce I won, which then earned a lot of the the hate of even his own Republican senators. Like, you can't do that. Like Ben Shapiro is tweeting, he has not won. Don't, I do think we will win, but he has not won. He needs to stop. Mike Pence then rolled out, gave Trump a look of like, go fuck yourself, rolled out and said, no, 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 we're counting all the votes, like trying to save his own career at this point. Because he is the heir apparent to the Trump dynasty, right? Mike Pence is the heir apparent because he is the vice president. You may not think that you're shaking your head a bit. Yes, the heir apparent is Ivanka Trump. She will probably run in 2024 for the primary or Donald Trump Jr., one or the other. Yes, you're pointing at me, but I think after the four years that we just went through, the Republicans are going to have to get together. Yes, they won a few House seats. We'll talk about that later. Yes, they kept a lot of the Senate. They kept their potential majority, depending on Georgia. But the Donald Trump presidency, I do not see a Trump ever being reelected because um, the voters came out this time. They came out and said, we, 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 enough is enough. I'm very much the opposite. I think Trumpism is here for a while, especially you can even use the Tea Party as kind of an example of with Trumpism. It's not quite as extreme as the Tea Party was, but the Tea Party was very fringe. What you're going to see happen is a lot more fringe Republicans are going to pop up in 2022 in the midterms and try and see how that goes. And if the 2020 mid or 2022 midterms 
uh, flop for fringe Republicans. You're going to see in 2024 when these fringe Republicans who got put into the House and these fringe Republicans who have been there, uh, you're going to see them quietly lose their primaries, which is what they did with the Tea Party. But they're going to run the midterms to see if this is the direction we want to go. And if the midterms go well for them, it will probably keep going. But the Republican Party really uses midterm elections to run and see how the fringe message works. Democrats do it in major electoral seasons, um, which is very strange to me because uh, the midterms is the time to do that when there's less voters. Because if you're getting the like only hardcore political midterm focused people voting, then you're going to be able to really test out like, is this something that the general population is going to like? Because I, you saw the bit this uh, this term, um, you saw the acceptance of, and I, I don't know the full story, backstory of them. As an American, you might be able to explain a little bit better than I can. But you saw the Republicans embrace Q. You saw the uh, Republicans embrace the Q on Q and on the uh, uh, baseless theory of what, from what I understand. The Democrats are controlled by the uh, the uh, pedophile ring in Hollywood. As someone who is literally in Hollywood, is that true? <laughs> so we're all really bored in quarantine. Yep. Really bored. And especially somewhere along the lines, this conspiracy theory that Wayfair, popular furniture store, was selling children specifically the children in the holding camps for the undocumented immigrants from latin america so those 525 yep those missing children because people were linking first names to the names of furniture at wayfair that were like ten thousand dollars and then QAnon saw this and ran with this saying, you know, we have to stop the pedophiles and look at Epstein and let's go down Epstein's list. And, oh, look, there's Democrat Meryl Streep. She's a pedophile. Oh, look, there's Tom Hanks. He was on the flight log. He's a pedophile. Let's ignore this Republican. Let's ignore this senator. Let's ignore this senator. Let's ignore this Republican. Oh, look, let's there's the Donald Trump. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, Donald Trump. We're going to ignore him. Like they really went down that list and said, like, what can we do to sow dissent? Because there's people that genuinely believe that like Tom Hanks is a pedophile because he flew on the Epstein jet. And now there's QAnon is spiraling and spinning this conspiracy that even Tom Hanks, who runs Thorn, which is this very aggressive organization, uh, the selling of young girls into sex slave across the world. Now he's a pile and running a sex ring. It's, it's, Baseless, but you really saw that in 2016 when Hillary Clinton and Pizzagate happened and that whole conspiracy took off and is still very believed really? that, that they could kind of grapple hold to that fringe vote. And with Trumpism, I said it. So it's true. Don't listen to the media giving you facts. The facts are from me. Believe my facts. Don't believe the media. Their facts aren't against me. They hate your favorite president. And it's, they may hate your favorite president, but you cannot make your own facts. You are not entitled to your own facts and feelings are not facts. But the big thing right now, especially in America, is I feel this way. This is my fact because I feel this way. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump has made politics an interesting sport. Um, 
if you tweet it, it must be real, according to Donald Trump. If you say it at a podium, it must be real. If you sign your name in big black permanent marker, it makes it much better. Um, I didn't really, I, like, I completely forgot about Pizzagate and just connecting Pizzagate to QAnon. It's kind of an, like, an ingenious string there because really 2016 was that first, hey, let's put out this, let's see what happens. Okay, what are we going to do in the next round? But we can't do it to Hillary Clinton, even though that Donald Trump during this election seems to name drop Hillary Clinton more than I'd like to change my underwear, like every freaking two words, like Joe Biden said about Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani only knows three things, a noun, a verb, and 9-11. So it's Donald Trump, it's Hillary Clinton emails and like, you know, whatever. So, so <laughs> the reason, the, and this is something, you know, that really looking at what he was saying and why Hillary came up and emails came up. When he started running this campaign, he wanted it to be identical to 2016 because it was such a blowout. It was so unexpected and it was so epic for him and his followers to see this happen, which is why all of a sudden Hillary came up and the emails came up and he was really rooting for this Hunter Biden scandal to do something like when Hillary's emails came out or that he was, they were reopening the investigation maybe a month or, or a couple of weeks before the election. He was hoping for that because that's what really drove the very on the fence Hillary Clinton people to his side or to the third party side and watching a lot of these returns when they were showing this is the 2016 you can almost see the missing percentage from either trump or hillary's total coming directly from gary johnson yeah and with a now because uh, i don't know the uh, the uh, libertarians candidate's name sandra something joe jurgensen joe jurgensen and her podcast host of a vice presidential candidate pick good for him um she was irrelevant during this election she was an unknown quantity because i think uh with gary johnson being the former governor of new mexico is that correct he was a former governor somewhere but i think it's either uh because i know bill weld was from massachusetts i just forget where gary johnson was from but he was a he was a name brand, right? He was in politics, so people knew him, so they could vote for him. This Joe Jergison, or however you pronounce your last name, wasn't. So also, you had in 2016, especially people hated Donald Trump, and even a lot of the right was like, "I don't like him." He was an unknown. They weren't liking his vulgar mouth, but they hated Hillary. Like Hillary's the devil, Trump's the devil. We have two devils. Which devil do I like? Trump's pro-life, let's go with him. Or, mm, I don't really like his mouth, though, Hillary. Mm. So there was a lot of, I'm in the middle, I don't like this. Let me go with Gary Johnson. Let me go with Jill Stein. Let me go with uh, a Kanye West in the Independent Party. Let me write in Bernie Sanders. Well, and that's the and thing that's that I wanted to talk about a little bit is Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders passionately endorsed Joe Biden this time. In 2016, Bernie Sanders hated Hillary Clinton. His votes, voters hated Hillary Clinton and the establishment. They saw what happened. They went, okay, it's time to back this person. We may not like him, but Bernie Sanders is probably gonna be in his cabinet, so we're gonna back him so that way Bernie can pull the strings of Joe Biden. I don't think Bernie should be in the cabinet. I'm oh, I don't either. I think, 
I think the work he's doing in the Senate is way too important. Um, I think putting him in the cabinet would do a very big disservice to the work the Senate needs to do. I think if you want a progressive name in there, maybe pull uh, Elizabeth Warren in there or um, even go into the House and get one of the squad members like AOC or Rashida Tlaib or Ayanna Presley or Ilan Omar. Like, I think getting one of the younger uh, sort of House of Representatives progressives into the cabinet is more important than maybe Bernie. Because Bernie, the work he's doing at the Senate is is too important. And he really does introduce a lot of great bills and progressive thoughts on things that would instantly be pulled out of there. Yeah. Now we are going to turn to the Senate here a bit. We, we're still not Perfect. done. I'm still keeping an eye on the vote totals. Georgia is closing up here uh, just so that way people know that this is live, live. Yes. <laughs> but we'll talk about the Senate elections um, yet again. Polls expected a big blue wave, a big blue wave that was going to come across this great, the great land of America and bring the Democrats back to a majority uh, government or but back in the majority. Wah, 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 this did not happen. Uh, we'll start in Arizona. It has been called by a few networks. Uh, Martha McSally, Republican senator for the state of Arizona, was appointed the day after the 2018 election that she lost. And she then again lost on Wednesday night or Tuesday night to Captain Mark Kelly, white, a husband of former Congresswoman Gabrielle Gifford, who was shot in uh, Tucson, Arizona on January 8th, 2011. Um, this was not a shock to me. Was it to you? No, she's unlikable as a candidate. She really is not. She doesn't know. She doesn't usually run a good campaign. She's fairly unlikable. And especially with politics in the U S it really does come down to likability in many places that are fairly purple. Nevada is a fairly purple state. It's not really red, it's not really blue. It is more that independent in the middle. So they really do look at what are your policies? What are your goals? What are the things you want to accomplish? Does it line up with me? Like, yes, many of them, it is very much red in that middle, but so much of that land that's red when you look at the like voting district maps, that red is all desert. Where so just, most of the- just, just uh, backtrack here, uh, Arizona, not Nevada. Sorry, I was looking, I was totally on Nevada. Um, even Arizona, though, Arizona is also very purple. Um, but you also had, sorry, I was totally on Nevada, uh, still thinking about that. But with Arizona, he, Donald Trump has been repeatedly attacking McCain for five years. And McCain yeah. was beloved there. Uh-huh. You don't get to just attack like the most beloved Arizonian and get away with it. Yeah. He, Donald Trump nailed his coffin when he basically called, uh, John McCain, a loser because he was captured. Yeah. He doesn't like losers. Arizona's do not forget. If Hillary, if Gary Johnson was not running in 2016, I believe Hillary Clinton would have won Arizona. That's pretty fair. Because like you said, that, that markup, but Martha, I've seen her. I've heard interviews with her. She is not a well-liked candidate. She is not well-liked. And she can go go on in history books as being the only senator to lose two elections and still get to serve in the Senate. Yeah. Um, 
So the other ones that we want to talk about, Doug Jones, uh, we'll do these quickly. Doug Jones, Democratic Senator for the state of Alabama. He lost to retired football coach Tommy Tuberville. Uh, Which getting- we don't what? like Auburn. Very sad about that. Roll Tide, very much University of Alabama. Got to throw that in there. But uh, Go ahead. Not a, this was not unknown. We knew this was going to happen. This was going to flip always. Alabama, the fact they even had Doug Jones is shocking. He ran against Roy Moore, known pedophile, and barely won. Whereas mm-hmm. Tommy's very beloved being an ex-coach. Good luck. Well, like. <laughs> like, like you said, uh, Alabama loves their football, right? They have two of the best teams in college football, and Tommy was a retired football coach, so whatever he chose, he was going to win no matter what. Yeah. Um, Colorado, yet again, not another not another big surprise. A, a pickup for the Democrats, though, Cory Gardner, Republican senator, first-term Republican senator. As you can tell, I've done my notes meticulously. Uh lost his bid for re-election to incumbent governor of Colorado, who was term-limited, John Hickenlooper. Yet again, not a surprise to you? No. Uh, Maine was a shock. I was actually very shocked at Maine because we had talked about a week or a week and a half before the election. Susan Collins, incumbent governor for the great state of Maine. Yay. That very small state off to the corner of America. Won re-election handedly. What happened there? She voted against the Republican Party for ACB, Amy Coney Barrett. She voted against them. She was the only Republican to side with the Democrats. And the reason she said it or the reason she sided with them was this is too early. We should not be doing this. We set a precedent. We cannot be hypocrites. The only one to do it. And because of that, I do. The minute she did that, I I firmly believed Maine was going to reelect her. I was curious, though, um, because the way that Maine works, they have ranked voting. So if she didn't get 50 percent of the vote, it instantly jumped to everybody's second choice, which was like 75 percent for the independent candidate. So with with um, God, Susan Collins, it was really one of those situations like if she didn't get above 50 percent, she would have been gone. And that was the big thing everyone was kind of looking for to see happen. And there was a couple of times in the night that it was very razor thin above 50%. It was a tight, tight race for her. And it was probably one of the tightest races because the Democrats threw money left, right, and center at most of these states that they thought they were going to win, which we're going to talk about a few here, but they threw money at Susan Collins because they thought this was the easiest one to pick up. Yes, Yes. Arizona was going to potentially go. Yes, Colorado. But Maine was the easy one because Susan Collins has flip-flopped and just voted with Donald Trump, voted against Donald Trump. But both sides, like you said, hate her. But they're an easy vote for the Republicans, but they're, she's an easy swing vote for the Democrats as well. And that's, I think, the big thing with her. Like, the Republicans know that she's voting for what's best for the main people. And that's really when it kind of comes and cycles back to this. Are you actually voting for the people you're representing? Yeah. And I do firmly believe, as much as I disagree with Susan Collins on a lot of things, she votes for what a lot of Maine wants. And yeah. she does vote for the Maine people. That it's And it's hard to get rid of an incumbent. So it's one of those situations where they know her and they know that she doesn't 100% fall in line with Trump. And a lot of Maine does like that. 
Yeah. Um, one, two elections in one state is Georgia. Uh, this was, okay, Georgia is a runoff state. So if you do not get 50% of the vote, which I see you shaking your hand, so I'm assuming we're going to be talking about this a little bit. Georgia is a runoff state. So if you're, you're, if you're a candidate, you have to get 50% of the vote to win to avoid a runoff. At the last count, both... Republican Senator incumbent David Perdue and special election incumbent Kelly Loeffler have below 50%. They are both going to a general a runoff election with their Democratic challenger, Sam. Uh, I just want to make sure I get the name right. Uh, oh, I don't even have his name. John Ossoff. Ossoff uh, was against uh, David Perdue and the Reverend Ralph Warnick uh, against uh, Kelly Lawford. I thought Perdue was going to get over 50%. I'm surprised that they're both going to runoffs. Were you? No, absolutely not. I fully expected, prepared mentally, physically, emotionally for both of these to be runoffs. Um, Especially, I think John... Ossoff really was able to get the lead in that election because of the Purdue going out there and saying, you know, I don't know Kamala Harris, Kamala Kamala, Kamala Malamala. Like you've worked with this woman for you've worked with this woman for years now, and you, you, swore, you were sworn in the same day. <laughs> Yeah, like, and you can't suddenly remember her name, like, because we've seen racist attacks like this happen from senators that instantly lose their seats in that next election. So with Georgia, especially with third party candidates, I knew it was not going to go the way of someone finding out that night. In terms of the other one, um, it's a jungle primary. That was always going to be a runoff because you had 28 candidates running like three Republicans, 27 Democrats, like, and that's the big thing with jungle primaries. And I think that more states are probably going to move in that direction. So that was a full expectation that Warnick and um, Kelly, Loeffler, Loeffler, she owns a uh, basketball team. That was always fully expected to go to runoff. And I think depending on how Georgia goes, we're about to have a giant microscope on it in terms of if this is going to be able to solidly stay blue or if this is just going to constantly be just like flip back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. And just talking about that jungle primary, she was up against a a current congressman as well. Doug Collins, the Republican congressman, said that she was not conservative enough, so they needed to vote for them. And it became a Kelly versus Doug primary and Ralph Warnock, the Reverend was able to come up and just say, you know what, if you guys want to fight, I'm going to go out and get the votes. And I'm, I would not be surprised on January 5th that if they, the Democrats do not pick up one of the two. I think that's a very strong possibility. And I do think that you may see um, the fate sealed with the jungle primary one more than Purdue, especially not being conservative enough, that's going to be a big red flag to Trump voters who will just say, I don't want to vote for her then because she's not and will just stay home. Which is ironic because she literally voted for 100 percent of the things that Donald Trump put in front of them. But Republicans like to eat themselves alive. Democrats do, too. Yes. But I think the thing that's going in uh, the reverend's uh, way is Stacey Abrams. 2018, 
governor, Democratic governor candidate lost by a slim margin, even with disenfranchised voters, with uh, with voters uh, being turned away at the polls. I think the African-American community in Georgia will come out in full force to say, you know what? We fudged up with Stacey Abrams. We're going to put him in to make this right. You all heard it here first. Stacey Abrams, first black female president of the United States. I you firmly so? believe that. I firmly believe that. She is beloved. She is on brand with her message. She has that very strong speech presence that you see in Obama that you don't see in Biden and you don't see in Trump. She's very articulate. She's very on it with both progressive and moderate values. And the Democratic Party loves her. And so much of just the independent vote loves her as well. I so the question then becomes, is she in, is she cabinet material? Well, she was almost vice president material. When people were throwing her name around, she said, I have to fix Georgia before I can fix the U.S. So I firmly could see her going cabinet or I could firmly see her in the next election running as a vice president with someone else or just throwing her own name in the hat. If hypothetically Joe Biden loses uh, the election this time, 2024, she has a perfect opportunity to win. Agree. Um, North Carolina, it still hasn't been called. Tom Tillis, Republican incumbent, fighting against Cal Cunningham. Cal Cunningham, two weeks before the election, was caught in a sex scandal. He came out, said he was in an extramarital affair with another woman. This sort of hit his sails a bit, and it sort of slowed him down. It looks like uh, Tillis is ahead. Uh, As of two seconds ago, 1.8% between uh, Tillis and Cunningham. I don't expect this to turn uh, blue. North Carolina is a lost cause for Democrats now. Yes. Um, however, remember that name, Tom Tillis. You're going to see him probably as a nominee for the Republican ticket, uh, either in primary season or maybe even getting the actual vote. He's very quiet in terms of support for Trump. He is more of that traditional name like Jeb Bush was. So I firmly believe you will see him on the on the primary stage in four years. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Him and Governor Larry Hogan of West Virginia, I believe, are two people because Larry Hogan just came out today and said Donald Trump basically needs to shut his mouth, paraphrasing here, and just let the votes be cast. And then afterwards, make your pitch of why you think it's being rigged. So I think those people, I think Tom Tillis, like you said, is right. Uh, quickly, Joni Erst of Iowa won re-election. We thought this was going to go blue because of her screw up of not knowing how much a bushel of corn was. She will never forget that again in her life. She will make sure every time she goes out there to any speech, (laughs) any press conference that she knows the break even price of soybeans and the break even price of corn. She will make that is burned into her brain now because that's what really almost cost her because Iowa, nobody was looking at. And then she fucked that up. And that is that is farmer's money. And that is your entire demographic. I fully thought they were going to eat her alive. A little disappointed because I do think that is a very important. I'm, I'm not a farmer in Iowa. I'm, I'm not running for any position in Iowa. If I was, I would want to know all the numbers, any kind of crop, especially the top two crops in Iowa, which are soybeans and corn. You need to know that break-even price. Because of this, I now also will know the break-even price of both corn and soybeans. For that day. 
for that day, you will know it because it does change. But yes, yes I agree. Joni Erst is probably telling all of her staffers right now, every briefing you tell me, you start off with the break-even price of soybeans and corn is. Yes. Um, quickly, it's three other races I want to talk about. Uh, Lindsey Graham squeaked out a victory. Yes, it was a, a large victory, but he he was scared shitless. I think that was a misjudgment by the Democratic Party. Anybody who thought Lindsey Graham was going to go wasn't even looking at the polls, which were showing Lindsey Graham winning very easily. But because they saw that there was so much excitement over Jamie getting, Harrison, uh, over, not even just over Jamie Harrison, but just over the possibility of getting rid of Lindsey Graham. Like it, it, that people from all over the U.S. were donating, which then caused Lindsey Graham to go on Fox News and start begging for money like a pauper. Even like, even in the Senate confirmation hearings of Amy Cohn Barrett, he was asking people to donate to him. It got so bad. Fox News, every time he went on, when he'd start talking about asking for money, we just shut him off. And like that's problematic. So he looks he does not. He looked very desperate. That's going to bite him in the ass down the line. But with this election, I knew Lindsey Graham was going to win, just like I knew Mitch McConnell, unfortunately, was going to win. Because if there's a Republican I do not like, it is Mitch McConnell. The one uh, the last one I want to talk about is Montana, uh, former governor, current incumbent governor. Uh, I just want to make sure Steve Bullock. He was term limited. Uh, He was not going to run. He ran for president against uh, Joe Biden. He dropped out. He was not going to run for Senate because he said there was a lost cause. But a month later, he decided to run in incumbent one term Republican Steve Daines did win re-election yet again. The Dems threw money at that race because it was a popular incumbent Democratic governor. But let it go. He lost. That one's not surprising to me either. I think when you're looking at that one, especially if he had from the beginning announced he was going to run and not waited till a month before, you probably would have seen him win. But what that looks like is, oh, I know I'm better than them. So and I don't think he's going to be able to do it. So let me just jump in last minute and grab it. It just it's not a good look. It really is very much like, well, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to run. Oh, Oops, you suck. Let me just jump in and sweep it up. Like, it was a really nice try, but it was, it wasn't, especially with Montana, who they don't care. They typically go red in the election, but in terms of governors, senators, House of Rep, they're very fluid with who they'll vote in. Well, their other current senator is a Democrat, yeah. uh, John Tester, who is a Democrat. He was the House of Representatives, uh, the lone congressman of Montana. So it and well, uh, he was the former governor as well. So therefore, like you said, you don't come out and say you're not going to do it because you think it's a lost cause and then do it, right? Yeah. Because then it, it just looks, it doesn't look cute. It's not a cute look. No. Uh, we are going to go on to something that you are excited about that you wanted to talk about, Congress. And then we're going to go into state legislatures as well. So there are two races, there are two areas that I want to start with. We'll start with the the new congresswoman for Missouri's first district, Miss Cori Bush. Bush defeated a nine-term congressman, Lacey Clay. Now, Clay has represented the district since 2001, and prior to that, his father had represented the area since 1969. So 
she is the first black female to be elected to the Congress from Missouri. Were you shocked at this? I don't know about so much as shocked. Were you happy? Um, I, I was happy. And I think the really the big thing to make note of is she's also the very first Black Lives Matter activist and like not just like joint but like activist leader for that group that got elected. And I think that's really important to make note of. Um, I think she's very charismatic. I think this is something we're going to see as a trend Unfortunately, probably not in the larger scheme, like presidents, Senate, that's going to take more time. But you're seeing it start in the House and in state legislators. You're seeing these minority groups finally getting recognition because it is, you know, small county or small area. So it's easier to go in and say, hi, I am your neighbor. I'm your this and win people over that way. And it's you're really going to see a lot of states move in that direction for their and, political candidates. And just another little tidbit fact here, District 1 in Missouri is the district that George Floyd died from an officer kneeling on his neck. I want to make sure I put that out there because she got into it when you listen to her uh, uh, when she decided to run. That was a big decision why she ran for that, because she wanted to voice her concerns. And she thought Clay, a fellow Democrat, she beat him in the primary, was not potentially doing that. So she got into it. She won because of George Floyd. And it kind of is a good uh, simile to say, you know what? She was there. George Floyd died. She took up the mantle. And now she's a congresswoman to change police brutality for black people yep <clears throat> that's good um the next one uh yet again democrats won republicans won as well this next one is the republican version of aoc he has been touted as the republicans aoc madison cawthorn won his seat in california uh, for those who don't know, uh, Cawthorn is 25. He is the youngest congressman ever to be elected in the House of Representatives. If I'm not mistaken, he is 24 right now. He will be 25 by the time he is sworn into Congress on January 3rd. Um, some, Like I said, some consider him the Republican version of AOC and the uh, not tragic story, but he was hit, uh, in the back of a pickup truck, the trick, uh, pickup truck uh hit something or was in an accident he flew out of the pickup truck in the back of the bed and he was paralyzed from the waist down so he is in a wheelchair so youngest congressman ever elected in a wheelchair the republican version of aoc this was not a shocker because the only thing that was shocking in this race to me he beat president trump's hand-picked candidate in the primary what's your thoughts I mean, the, with AOC getting elected into office, there was always going to be the farther right version of that sort of young, outspoken, politically active, activated individual. And I think the big thing we're going to see with Madison or Cawthorn is that he is probably going to be very molded by the Republican Party because this is one of their big claims to diversity right now. And this is something that when you look at the Republican Party as a whole, they very much lack because he is wheelchair bound. You're going to see a lot of molding him to probably try and move him away from those fringe far right 
a lot of those fringe like QAnon sort of beliefs. So we're going to see them try and do that. And then when it comes time to 2024, if he wins his primary, he's probably going to be there for a while. If he finds, if we find he's too fringe, you're going to see them put up a very strong candidate to just knock him out of the primaries. And it's really going to come down to how much he can be molded by the Republican Party that's been there because he is very much the future of Republican of the Republican. And that's what I want to talk about is because if he does get molded by Mitch McConnell, by uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, minority leader in the House of Representatives, if he does get that, he is on the path to being a senator. Oh, 100%, just like AOC is as well. Yeah, well, that's the issue, and we'll talk about AOC in a few seconds here. But actually, we'll talk about AOC now. She kicked her Republican challenger 60 to 30%. Uh, no one was expecting her to lose that re-election, but the margin of victory was shocking. Um, now, the issue is, what's next for AOC? So, Alexandria Ocas, uh, uh, I forgot how to pronounce her last Alexandria name. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. There you go. I have two of her buttons on my Christmas tree. I should know how to pronounce it, but I don't. But there are speculations that she is going to run against Chuck Schumer, for the Democratic primary in two years because Chuck Schumer is up for re-election. Do you think that's going to happen? That's a really tough question, especially as a native New Yorker. Do you like Schumer? I think it's time for him to retire. And I'm going to be very, very kind of vague and leave it at that. Um, just like I think it's time for Nancy Pelosi to retire. I think I, but I think term limits in the Senate, in the House, everywhere. I think term limits are needed. Period. Yes, um, I I agree wholeheartedly on that one too. So um, I think if she ran, there's a lot of excitement for her. But I think you might see her wait until she to I, I you might see her wait before she runs to really judge and gauge if the excitement for her is just because she's young and progressive or if it's because people think she's really on her political game so i think she may you may see her run a third time for the house and if she can single-handedly get the margin she got this time you may see her run in the senate my path for aoc is this joe biden's going to appoint Kristen gillibrand to some cabinet or under undersecretary position in his if he wins uh, the presidency in this election. Fair. Andrew Como will have to appoint Mark Mario Como. What's the governor's name? Governor Como of New York. Andrew Cuomo. Oh. Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Cuomo will have to appoint somebody. He is up for re-election in two years as well. To win over the progressive votes, who's he going to pick? AOC. Listen, I don't, I don't hate that idea. <laughs> I really like AOC. I really like her story. You know, bartending, becoming an activist on the Bernie Sanders train, and eventually running and winning a seat. Um, I, I love that story. I love a lot of her policies. I love how she goes back to her district and she says, you know, what do you want from me for these things? And she constantly is checking in. And I think more, more representatives, that's what you're supposed to do. What does your district want? And she's doing it. A lot of these, they come home and they just see their family and that's it. And I think the really the 
super cool thing about her and why she won with such a large margin is because she will go in and say, what specifically do you want me to do? What what can we look at? How can I support you? Which is what you need to see more with the House of Representatives because the Senate can't go across the whole state and really ask that. So go to the representative, talk to them. They can then bring it to the Senate. It's how it should work. And it's really what's really exciting about her. And I think that that's something to keep in mind with her. Um, I definitely do think we are going to see her in the Senate at some point. I just want to make sure, and I think she wants to make sure as well, that it's not a misjudgment of the excitement for her in her district versus the whole state. Yeah, because right now she is becoming the new Nancy Pelosi in the House, right? Because beforehand it was Nancy Pelosi this, Nancy Pelosi this. If you like the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi is going to destroy America. Now it's AOC and the squad are going to destroy AOC and the squad. So the Republicans know that AOC has ground, not just in New York. And that's what scares them, right? Because AOC is the young female version of Bernie Sanders, and she really, Bernie, Bernie missed his shot to run for president. If he had run sooner, it probably would have gone better for him, especially being older. A lot of people were turned off by that. But I do think, you know, if she runs for when she eventually runs, because I do have a feeling that is on her mind now with how excited people are when she inevitably runs. I think you might see a really good candidate. She may actually be the one that runs against Madison, Madison Cawthorn. It might be the two of them when they eventually both decide to run. And I think that that'll be a really interesting race. Um, and I, and definitely you're seeing that on the, on the left with Madison, uh, a lot of the left, like Madison's coming for your rights. Like he's not even there yet, but he's coming for them. And it's just, it's fascinating to see that there is such excitement in people my age for politics, because that is such a uh, overlooked demographic. Well, exactly. And this time, Joe Biden has to thank and the Democrats have to thank young people who came out, right? Because they came out in force. They were the ones who pushed him potentially over the top. No, you don't think so? He needs to thank black women. Nine to one went, black women went for Democrats. 90% of black women turnout was for the Democrats, and that's who he needs to thank. 80% of turnout, uh, 80% of the black male turnout was for Democrats. That's who they need to thank. Black women and black men, specifically black women. Speaking of black men, uh, New York also elected two openly black men, gay black men, Richie Torres and Mondaire Jones. These are the first two openly gay black men to serve in the House of Representatives as congressmen. This brings the total of openly out identified as LGBTQ in the U.S. Congress, including the Senate, to nine. This is a big milestone. Like, I know it's still a long way to go, but nine is a big number. If you look at five years ago, 10 years ago, it was one or two, if that, with Bernie, uh, uh, Barney Frank. This is the direction we're moving in, especially as LGBT rights, queer rights are being more universally accepted and really more universally supported. You're, we're going to see, especially in the U.S., a large number of just queer people getting elected. I mean, four trans women 
were elected, a non-binary person was elected, uh, a whole laundry list of bisexual, gay, lesbian people. Um, and the really cool thing too, um, I believe it was in Nevada, the sheriff fired this woman who was a lesbian, who she ran against him for sheriff and actually beat him. And I think that's really showing the direction that this country's going in. And then you look at Nevada, Nevada put into their state constitution, gay marriage is allowed. So even if the Supreme Court does something to overturn it, it is in the Nevada constitution, it cannot be removed. Yeah. And talking about uh, those other LGBTQ members who were elected across the state, just some notable ones here that I want to talk about, because you would assume people would assume if you're not in America that most LGBT members of any caucus (coughs) would be Democrats. This is not the case in Tennessee, a Republican man openly gay was elected to the Tennessee state legislature, Eddie Maines, but also Tory Harris, a bisexual man was also elected in Tennessee as well. (laughs) The list goes on. Sarah McBride. This is huge. Sarah McBride is the most prominent uh, elected official who is trans. She won a state Senate uh, seat in Delaware. And Taylor Small, 26 years old in Vermont. Yeah. Uh, you have Jill Rose Quinn in Illinois that won for a state's uh, representative seat. You also have Stephanie Byers in Kansas, who is an older trans woman and not necessarily what the trans community would consider passing. So yeah. someone who is ver- who is trans and also being accepted by Kansas, which is pretty solidly red too. Well, and well, exactly. Because I know their governor just, uh, their governorship just went democratic in the uh, 2018 election, but a trans woman to be elected in a solidly state, uh, red state is huge. One, one, one that I want to talk about a little bit is one that you uh, mentioned on your sheet. And I looked her up right away. Uh, Hailing from another red state, uh, a musical Broadway show is after this state, Oklahoma, O-K-O-L-A-H-O-M-A, Democrat Marie Turner, they are a non-binary candidate, Democratic candidate, and also the first Muslim elected in Oklahoma as well. And Black Identifying and black identify. What does this say to you as an openly gay man in America that people, a lesbian got elected in Georgia, New York, like I said, Kansas, Vermont, openly out LGBT candidates are winning in traditionally red states. What does that say to you as a gay man? I just, It makes me so proud. It makes me so happy to see this because this is the direction. We're here, we're queer, we're literally not going anywhere. And it's really just this overwhelming, not quite overwhelming, but it's this support that is ticking in that direction. And there's definitely a long way to go. I'm not saying because we have four trans women and a non-binary person, all of a sudden everyone's gender is going to be respected and accepted and we're going to all use the right pronouns. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But the fact that a non-binary person is getting elected, the fact that trans women are getting elected, it's really showing that this is here to stay. They're 
these people, these non-binary people, these trans people, they're, they're getting the, these seats. And that's, that's a really big thing, especially with like pronoun respecting it. It's not some fringe, weird, like young college liberal thing. It is an impactful, uh, it is an impactful gender identity that is going to make decisions and that has to be accepted. And if you're not going to accept it, they're just going to get themselves elected and force you to accept it. So, (laughs) which they are right there. Yeah. They are getting elected and they are going to make people accept the fact that, you know what, there are other people than straight white men out there. Mm -hmm. Snap, snap on that. Um, Last area I want to talk about before I let you go here and we wrap up this great session. But before I do say that, Georgia is now within 1800 votes of flipping to Joe Biden. So it keeps on getting smaller. Uh, Joe Biden is closing the gap. There's about 40,000, 42,000 votes that differentiate between him and Donald Trump in Pennsylvania. So this election is still far from over. But up here in Canada, we do not get the chance to do this. We get it very seldom is propositions. Uh, You had propositions across uh, the USA on Tuesday. But one area that you're going to talk about later is Proposition 14. 22, 22 in California, but there's one that I want to talk about right beforehand because this is the big one, and Canada did this in 2016, legalized marijuana across Canada. You saw marijuana on the ballot on numerous states, and the states that had it, the majority of them, if not all of them, legalized marijuana. So New Jersey voted to legalize marijuana. Arizona Proposition 207 passed by 53% to legalize marijuana. South Dakota, South Dakota voters approved two initiatives, one for recreational marijuana and the other for medical marijuana. South Dakota, the one of the republic, one of the reddest states out there voted for it. Anyway, legalization of recreation marijuana was also approved by voters in Montana. <laughs> Mississippi approved medical marijuana. And the one that I really want to talk about, and this is the one I want to dive into, is Oregon. Oregon. That yes. was on my list. Um, That's, so this, for those who don't know, Oregon had uh, uh, legalized marijuana a few years ago. If I'm not mistaken, it was 2017 or 2016. And last night, I'll let Mike explain this one. Legalize the use of what? Uh, meth, heroin, and other street drugs. Um, basically any kind of like psychedelics, LSD, mushrooms, things like that. This is so, this is so great. Um, especially for people, cause I'm a social worker by trade and really you see addiction so prominently. And when you're looking at addiction to things like heroin, to meth, a lot of people are adversant to receiving help with this addiction because of this. Like, oh, if I go in and say, you know, I'm addicted to meth, I may go to jail. Or, oh, I'm addicted to heroin. I'm going to go to jail. Or, oops, I got arrested for meth. Or, I got arrested for heroin. Now I'm in jail. I'm not actually getting treatment for my addiction disorder. I'm not getting I'm not getting the support I need to maybe break this addiction. I'm going to go right back out on the street. And the recidivism of that is going to happen. And then I'm going to be back in jail. And it's just going to create this flip-flop. You also then, people turn into felons for a lot of these harder drugs. And then can't vote. 
And so it's just, it's so impactful that Oregon's done this. And I cannot wait to see if it permeates throughout the U.S. that we start looking at this. I actually have a cousin that passed away of a heroin overdose that his friends didn't call and get help when he was dying because of the fact they would have all been arrested, even though, even though he was dying on the floor. And my aunt actually went and got in her state a law passed, a Good Samaritan law. But I think, you know, the next steps, Good Samaritan laws are fantastic, but we need to decriminalize this. This no. addiction is so destructive and it is a mental health disorder. And yeah, there's definitely stuff to be said about the choices you make, but so many of the times, like one accidental dosing, or I'm going to try this once and now you're hooked, or I'm living on the street, I'm homeless, I have nothing going for me. The only way I have my anxiety tamper down or I can get the voices screaming at me is to use meth. It's very common throughout the homeless community because of that. Um, just a little background on it as well. So people arrested with small amounts of hard drugs will avoid going to trial and possible jail time under this proposition passing. And by paying only a $100 fine and attending a uh, addiction recovery program, they will not have to, like I said, go to jail or uh, go to a trial. So this is huge. Um, yes, it's not, it, it may look like it's legalizing hard drugs, but it's also saying, you know what? Our jails are overpacked already. We don't need to be throwing every single person into the bus. Um, there is one last one I want to talk about, and this one I don't know much about because I'm leaving this one for you. So Proposition 2020, 22 in California, what was it? So Proposition 22 was a proposition we had on the ballot to basically, uh, it was presented by Uber, Lyft, Postmates, DoorDash, all those ride-sharing programs. Um, in California, a law was passed a while ago that basically told Uber, Lyft, all of them that they had to classify their employees as full-time employees. So pay them minimum wage, pay them benefits, make them take legal breaks, make them take legal lunches. They had to have time frames and schedules and basically classify them as actual employees. Uh, Uber and Lyft, a lot of these rideshare companies, they didn't like that. Um, and they tried to say, you know, our employees, they're contract employees, they're contract employees. Uh, well, in August, they had to officially, by August 2020, they had to officially have all of their employees either fired or classified as, an, or everyone had to be making minimum wage. Uber and Lyft managed to get a, this on the proposition on the ballot. So the court said, we will wait till the proposition goes and then we can see how that turns out. The big thing with this and why it's bad that it passed is so many of these drivers uh, aren't getting much of the money they get. You know, you do a $20 ride for somebody, you might see two, three of those dollars of that $20 and then some tip for whatever the tip is. So it's really a minimum wage would help a lot of these drivers who maybe get one or two rides of a $20. So you're maybe getting seven or $8 for the whole hour would see because minimum wage in places in Los Angeles, in San Francisco and San Diego is at $15. So yeah. you would see them get that. There's also no, many people are doing this as their full-time job. You wouldn't necessarily see them 
have health insurance, have like benefits like that, get time off, paid time off, paid family leave, and which are things that are offered and in California employment law. Um, so they did a very costly campaign. In fact, it was the co- the most expensive campaign ever run um, in California was this Proposition 22 with like Uber, uh, I believe the final count was like $30 million, Lyft like $25 million, like DoorDash, uh, two or $3 million. Like so much money was poured into this. And it's it's disappointing to see that it did not, uh, that the proposition did pass because it really, it, it classifies these drivers as um, contract workers but it really kind of cuts them out of a lot of the rights, a lot of the benefits, a lot of the things that you would need maybe to get out of poverty, to maybe have stability in your life, to not have to drive 18 hours just to make a hundred bucks for a day. Yeah. And with the, uh, like you said about Oregon and passing the hard drugs proposition, hopefully these companies don't start doing this to other states as well, because usually California is the, test run for all these propositions, right? Because Proposition 8 in the 70s with homosexuality acts, uh, that was passed and then other states started passing that as well. So hopefully this proposition doesn't start spawning across America and uh, causing so much distress and so much heartache for so many people who rely so heavily on that money that comes in from those, right? Because some people can't find jobs and that's what they can do. They can deliver, right? Yes, but no, 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 the, the, this passing is not good because contract work isn't necessarily, at least my personal belief, contract work, it's great. You can make money, but with this passing, it really does kind of treat drivers as like car parts as opposed to actual employees and actual people. California passed the law trying to come after them, which Uber and Lyft challenged it and they won. So we were, I'm sure the rest of the America was trying to see if California was able to basically like stop Uber and Lyft from this, conglomerate and now that it's been stricken down and really uber and lyft are allowed to call their drivers whatever the hell they want and pocket most of the money you're going to see the rest of the u.s probably not try and stop or tamper their power and their control which is sad um Mm -hmm. but yet again with elections there's always defeat and there's always positives right so you have to look at the silver lining yet again being the optimist out of the two of us right now i think there's definitely silver linings especially when you look at california propositions one of the big silver linings we restored the right to vote to felons in california which is fantastic i think you know once you've served your term once you've served your parole why don't you get the right to vote back? Yes. You've served your time. Prison is, is allegedly supposed to be about rehabilitation. Once you have officially been rehabilitated, why don't you get to vote? Hey, in Canada, you can. I, I've, I've, I've never understood the American voting system when it comes to electorates. Uh, in Canada, doesn't. You, you can <laughs> just walk into any voting booth and just vote as long as you have a piece of ID or a letter that says you live in the place that you live. I never understood why America doesn't let people vote that way. But Americans don't understand how America votes. It's very <laughs> evident in this election with we want to count the votes here, but stop counting here. And I don't like this vote. So that needs to like nobody understands provisional or absentee or early but like no, mail vote none of these things americans know it's not something that's readily unfortunately explained in many of 
our primary school and secondary school classes, especially around history. Um, I, if I did not have a degree in history, I wouldn't understand a lot of the things, the crazy things that go on in the American electoral system. Um, it's very much uh, undertaught. I agree. And I think the one thing before we wrap up here is you guys have a weird electoral college thing. I hope uh, I know Colorado just passed a proposition that says Colorado will start giving its electoral votes to any the, the, the candidate with the most national votes will get their electoral college votes from now on. So no longer, yeah. So no longer will Colorado win, uh, give their uh, uh, elect. I think nine electoral votes or whatever it is, three or nine, uh, to the winner of Colorado, but to the winner of the national vote now. So the Democrats. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you look at the last eight elections; seven of them have been won by Democrats. Colorado typically goes blue, anyways. So that's fantastic. Um, I do think, especially when you look at the Electoral College, it, it, there's a lot of problems with it. And I kind of flip flop on how I feel about it every time it gets brought up. I definitely think it gives a voice to middle America that would not necessarily be there without it. Because what ends up happening, a lot of these big major cities, which you look at Nevada, like I was saying earlier, when we were talking about the wrong, when I was talking about the wrong state, so much Arizona, you know, it's the same thing. Same thing. Um, Nevada, you look at, when you look at the actual like voting map, you see the little blue corner and the blue side, but those counties are where everybody lives. All that red in the middle is primarily desert. Well, I I think I, I, I read a tweet I read a tweet, and yet again, you should never believe what you see on Twitter, but sometimes it's gold. Sometimes you find the gold in there. Someone was looking at Nevada. He must have been a Republican because he goes, 14 counties go red and two go blue and Democrats are winning. How does that happen? Everyone's like, "Mm, because that's where the majority of the people live. Just because it's all red does not mean the majority of people don't live there. And a, a huge example of this, I'm from upstate New York, New York City, solidly blue. The district I'm from, the Adirondacks are there, Albany's there, pretty much goes pretty solidly red every single election cycle. Um, And it's there's a big push there of like, well, the rest of New York doesn't agree with the city. We all have to secede and be our own state. And and the big thing with that is like, that's that's great that you want to be politically activated every four years. Um, But when you look at like, where's the money coming from? The money's coming from a lot of these blue city areas. And then population, people vote, land doesn't vote. What, what are you talking about? I know, land doesn't shocking. Vote? Cause you look at all these districts and when you do break it down by district, it is very red, even in blue states like Cal- California, New York. And I would maybe say Oregon and Washington. They're really the only states that ha- that do, in fact, have a good chunk of their counties go actually blue. Most of the counties, it's like three little blue city counties and the rest is red. Even looking at Georgia now, Atlanta's blue, Savannah's blue. The rest is red. Yeah. And it's just where people live. 
Well, uh, the best scenario of that, I'm not sure if you've ever heard that, but in Pennsylvania, you have Pittsburgh, you have Philadelphia, and then you have Alabama in the middle, right? Because it's so heavily red. So when you look at the map, it looks so red, but you have million people in Pittsburgh or how many people and a million people in Philadelphia and in the middle, you have like 50,000. I'm exaggerating because I don't know exactly what the population is in the. It is a couple million in the middle, but then you're also looking at Pittsburgh and Philadelphia that yes, there's a couple, maybe three, 4 million in the middle, but then you're looking at Pittsburgh, there's three, 4 million in Pittsburgh. You're looking at Philadelphia. There's like five, 6 million in Philadelphia. And then Scranton, because you know, Scranton's getting big too. And that's usually going blue half the time too. And then with uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, same thing, Milwaukee, Detroit, like, these are major metropolitan cities where also primarily black people are who, as we mentioned earlier, are the biggest voting block and the most reliable voting block for the Democratic Party. So when you have that conglomerate of black men and women living in the major cities in these these uh, states, that's where they can kind of flip back and forth if the turnout is really strong in those cities and in these demographics. Yeah. Um, I want to just ask you one last question, then I'll let you go here. Sure. We are still 253 electoral votes for Biden, 213 votes for Donald Trump. After seeing the result, after seeing it getting closer and closer, what's your final prediction here? I believe the writing is on the wall. After 2016, I will not ever say one way or the other until I officially see it flashed across every single news station and print and Twitter every I will not make an official call the writing is pretty on the wall I do predict that my husband was right we are going to see Georgia flip blue that is largely and officially because of Stacey Abrams and the work she's done um you're not going to see North Carolina flip blue. It's becoming a battleground state though, which is really exciting to see probably for Democrats in North Carolina, that their state is becoming so prominent. Uh, I think that you're going to probably see Nevada go blue and probably Arizona. There is the possibility that Trump does take Arizona. It is moving in that direction very slowly. He needs to get about 60 to 65% of the mail-in vote. And right now he's getting about 58, 59% of it. So he's, he, it's just going to be probably a very razor thin margin of votes, but if he can kick it into overdrive and start getting like 65% of that mail-in vote, he will win Arizona and open up his path to 270. But Pennsylvania, again, it's he's not holding his position. It's yeah. really moving at such a strong rate. I do see the writing on the wall, but again, 2016 has scarred me. I refuse to call anything because then it leaves me drunk on four bottles of wine going, how did this happen? I have yet to I have yet to drink during this election cycle. I'm waiting for Georgia to go blue only because of the work of Stacey Abrams exclusively. It is not a Joe Biden one. It is it is a Stacey Abrams worked her ass off and deserves this champagne toast. Exactly. Um, I will agree with that. Uh, I'm having a hard time seeing Joe Biden actually trying to actually flip Pennsylvania. Uh, I think Nevada and Georgia are his best bet to get to that magic 270. And if he does, um, the next two months are going to be extremely interesting with 
Donald Trump trying to blow up the world and try to save his ass for not getting sued in New York, for, according to you. <laughs> not, not even sued, just like criminal charges. Yeah. Uh, with that, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. And have yourself an excellent night. Uh, Absolutely, well, enjoy you too. And don't get too drunk. <laughs> well, we'll see if it actually gets called tonight. It may hey. get called in the morning. One of the great features of America is that uh, we have political contests, that they are very hard fought, as this one is hard fought. And once the decision is made, we unite behind the man who is elected. I have no bitterness, no rancor at all. I say to the president, as a, as a fellow politician, that he did a wonderful job. Mr. Nixon has won. The democratic process has worked its will. So now let's get on with the urgent task of uniting our country. Congratulations on your victory. I hope that in the next four years, you will lead us to a time of peace abroad and justice at home. You have my full support in such efforts. The president asked me to tell you that he telephoned President-elect Carter a short time ago and congratulated him on his victory. The people of the United States have made their choice, and of course I accept that decision. He has won. We are all Americans. He is our president, and we honor him tonight. He will be our president, and we'll work with him. This nation faces major challenges ahead and we must work together. There is important work to be done, and America must always come first. So we will get behind this new president and wish him, wish him well. I have said repeatedly in this campaign that the president is my opponent, not my enemy, and I wish him well and I pledge my support. This is America. Just as we fight hard when the stakes are high, we close ranks and come together when the contest is done. But in an American election, there are no losers. Because whether or not our candidates are successful, the next morning, we all wake up as Americans. Whatever our differences, we are fellow Americans. And please believe me when I say, no association has ever meant more to me than that. I so wish that I had been able to fulfill your hopes to lead the country in a different direction. But the nation chose another leader and so Ann and I join with you to earnestly pray for him and for this great nation. Thank you and God bless America. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Bye-bye.